Hail and well met, Traveler. Welcome to Threat Dice, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, storytelling, and the vagaries of the dice. I'm your host, Kylan Wigan. I am one-third of the team at TumbleDye Games, a young company developing a new hybrid storytelling RPG called Trove. We believe in the power of story, and the goal of Trove is to empower both players and game masters to level up the action, drama, and believability in their tabletop games. You can find out more at www.tumbledie.com, or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, at TumbleDie, or Instagram. Today I'd like to tug on a thread from our last episode. During the discussion about charisma, and the problem thereof, I mentioned a technique that I've used in the past, which I have taken to calling asymmetric information. The term derives from asymmetric gaming, which is a style of game design where the two sides are not equal. For example, chess is a symmetric game. The difference between the two sides is cosmetic only. All of the pieces are identical and in the same positions. Their abilities are the same. By contrast, a game like Ogre by Steve Jackson Games is asymmetric. One player takes control of the giant tank, the Ogre, and the other side plays as a scrappy group of soldiers trying to take it down. The abilities possessed by the players do not match up. Gameplay is asymmetric. So how does this apply to RPGs, I hear you ask? Well, that's precisely the subject of today's discussion. In general, when we play tabletop RPGs via the traditional route, we're all sitting around a game table. In front of us, we have a character sheet, some dice, and a pencil. At one end of the table, sitting behind a voluminous screen, is the Game Master, the arbiter, narrator, and referee of the game. Regardless of whose character is in focus at that time, the GM speaks to everyone at the table, and thus the information they receive is the same. Whether their character is in the room or drinking down at the pub, everyone sees what's happening to everyone else, and as such, the information given by the GM to the players can be considered symmetrical. This happens for a few reasons. One, of course, is practicality. Not exactly nice to invite a bunch of people to play, and then make most of them leave the room while you focus on one of them at a time for a bit. Also, the other players would miss the cool story happening to their friend while they're investigating, drinking, brawling, what have you. A cohesive group of players can even be invested in the stories happening to their companions. It doesn't necessarily have to be just them doing something in order to have fun. Still, though, it would definitely be less fun if they had to leave the room for those parts. Another reason is that it's just easier that way. If one player thinks their PC might know something, they'll roll a knowledge check, and at most of the tables I've ever played at, the GM tells them the answer out in the open, so everyone can hear it. It's simple, convenient. The player gets the answer they wanted, and the GM's work is done. Once again, symmetrical information. Everybody hears it at the same time, and it comes directly from the GM. Perhaps the most pernicious reason is the simplest. It's how we learn to play the game, so we keep doing it that way because we're supposed to. It's certainly how I learned to play. But what if we could do something with information that's a little different? To spice things up, maybe. Change the game a little, if you'll pardon the expression. I touched on this in the last episode too, but now we're going to dive in deep on the idea of you, as the Game Master, giving your players information that the others don't have, and doing it while preserving, and even enhancing, 
the fun that everyone is having at the table. But how? How could you do such a thing while still making sure that everyone is having fun? Let's break it down. Let's start by looking at something simple. That knowledge check I mentioned a minute ago. Okay, so the player thinks their PC knows something. They've got knowledge arcana or whatever, and they're facing down against the genie. That's a pretty good argument. They want to know if the genie is immune to mind effects, because they're a good player who's never sneaked a look at the stat block. And they've got a whammy ready in the form of Dominate Monster. Will it work? The player has no idea, but they think their character might know. They ask the GM, can I roll a Knowledge Arcana check to find out if I know whether this genie is just flat immune to the spell? Sure, the GM says. The player rolls. 27. The GM tells the player, yep, genies are totally immune to mental effects, so you might as well save that one. All the players nod and mentally note this information for later. This is the normal way of doing it. I hope you can see here how we've actually reduced future fun for the spellcaster character who asked the question. Now everyone at the table knows for sure that the genies can't be magically tricked, meaning that some of the value of that knowledge arcana skill has just evaporated. It's a small amount, and it may not be noticeable in the moment, but it sure will become noticeable down the line. So let's back up. The player asks, can I roll a knowledge arcana check to find out if I know whether this genie will be immune to my dominate monster? Sure, says the GM. Roll the die behind the screen. The same result, a 27. A very good check. The GM jots down the answer on a post-it note and hands it to the player. The player nods sagely. This seems important to know, they murmur to themselves. Well, says another player, can we bring the genie under our control? The spellcaster's player shakes their head. I don't think it's likely to work. Let's find another plan. This exchange probably took a few extra seconds, thanks to the time needed for the GM to write down the answer for the player. The player got their answer, but the sum total of the result here is actually quite different. The player's investment in the game is extended, and possibly heightened, because they are now in sole possession of a critical piece of information. It's up to them, their choice, whether or not to share it with the rest of the group or whether to use it solely for their own information and to inform their own decisions. If you wanted, you could even take this a step further toward full immersion. Have the player roll the die behind the screen, but don't look. The GM writes down an answer appropriate to the result and hands it to the player. They don't even know whether or not the information is reliable, only what they know. This might be going too far for some folks, I go back and forth myself, but I think it would depend on the group, and maybe even the player, how I would handle that one. I think for most people, it's nice to know the result of your role, so that you can make the decision on how to play the answer. There are probably some players out there who would prefer closer to total immersion, and if they like that, you can definitely do that for them. If you don't have a screen, you as the GM can roll the die yourself, add the PC's skill adjustment, and give them an answer on the sly. You don't have to do this for any kind of result that everyone can obviously see the effects of. If a PC makes an acrobatics check, the result, whether good or ill, is apparent to everyone. Save the asymmetric information for times when it would enhance the player's experience. Checks to know things, 
to charm or trick NPCs. You might even keep these entirely secret, again, depending on the group and the player. And other things along that track. Even the results of perception checks can be enhanced by delivering the information directly to the player who made the roll. By letting the player communicate what their character sees, or not, to the rest of the group, it heightens that player's investment in the shared story. Every time you do this, it's like a little gift to the player. For a moment or longer, they are in sole possession of something that becomes their responsibility. The more you do this, the more you draw your players into the world and into the minds of their characters. Over time, you build something which is critical to maintaining a group and getting yourself to some kind of ending, whether near or far. Immersion. Okay, so that's the idea. After the break, I'm going to tell you a story. A tale about a one-shot game I once ran for my sister's 19th birthday. A game that then turned into a campaign that lasted for several months. The key to why that one-shot went so well? You guessed it. Asymmetric information. On July 23rd, I will be appearing on the How I Nerd Twitch channel for a live RPG roundtable discussion hosted by at GamerMomLuna on Twitter and the How I Nerd Network. I'm really excited to chat with everyone who will be on that night, and I hope that some of you out there might just tune in. The discussion starts at 8pm Eastern on Thursday, July 23rd at twitch.tv slash howinerd, and I hope we'll see you there. Hey folks, Kevin here to give a shout out to a friend of the dice. If you've ever wondered what goes into creating a set of custom handmade dice, then we'd like to invite you to visit our friend Andrew Morgan at The Humble Dragon. There you can find a unique collection of gorgeous one-of-a-kind dice boxes and beautiful handcrafted sets of dice. Also, if you need a set of specialty dice for your own game or house rules, then you should definitely reach out to Andrew as we did to have your own custom-faced dice designed and made a reality. Please visit The Humble Dragon on Etsy at etsy.com slash shop slash The Humble Dragon. Welcome back. Okay, so a few years ago, my little sister asked me to run a game for her birthday. She's always been a horror fan. We've played hundreds of hours of Left 4 Dead together. It's a video game by Valve. She loves horror movies and, and so on. After some thought, I decided that for her, I would create a fantasy zombie apocalypse one-shot as her present. I made a small custom setting and decided to make it as close to the standard zombie apocalypse story as I could. I pre-made the characters. They were all regular townsfolk, who would be expected to rise to the occasion, as you'd expect in a zombie apocalypse story. I rolled them up as level zero, meaning that they had no class assigned, but each one had one of the better feats from the 5th edition player's handbook. 
I printed out their character sheets, this was back in the days when you could actually play around a real table, with full-color portraits in the upper right of each sheet. I laid out these character sheets on the table, and covered them up with index cards. Only the portraits were visible. There were three female characters and three male ones. We ended up with four players, my brother, my sister, my wife, and my sister's boyfriend. When they came into the room, they looked over the characters that were available, and chose them based on the portraits alone. They had no idea what they were taking on for characters until they made their selection, sat down, and uncovered their sheets. With their choices made, they started figuring out what they had to work with. Each of these characters additionally had a special index card hidden beneath their character sheets. It contained a piece of information about the town, something their character knew from their old life, before the apocalypse had struck. A couple of these were the locations of powerful weapons. As townsfolk who'd just recovered from a terrible zombie disease, they began with basically nothing but a couple of shovels. Some of them were the names and locations of important NPCs who might be able to assist them in their efforts to survive and escape. I encouraged them not to share these pieces of information right away, but rather to save it for when it might be important. They did, in fact, save their information. Once they made their initial escape from where they had awakened, they were turned loose on the streets of this small fictional city. I gave them no direction, save for the index card I had secreted away with them, except that the time was high noon, and that at nightfall, the zombie horde would be certain to tear them to shreds. They had six hours until sunset, and the time they had was theirs to use however they wanted. So during this game, they made decisions, based on the information I had secreted in their character sheets, on where to go. For every move they made in the city, I moved a sun icon across a custom time tracker, closer to sunset. They had to make real choices, with limited time they couldn't do everything, and choosing to skip something meant that they could be giving up a powerful ally or tool that could aid in their escape. In the end, we spent about six hours of real time playing this one-shot session. They made decisions on where to move through the town, fighting off zombie hordes and desperately trying to survive, with no weapons and less than ten hit points each. As zeroth level characters, I gave them each eight hit points plus con bonus. They gathered weapons and allies, and discovered that the main gates had been barred to keep the zombies from escaping into the countryside. There was no other way for them to escape without risking severe injury or death leaping from the city walls. And they ended up leading a massive assault against the gates, where they were attacked by an enormous mutated zombie. If you've ever played Left 4 Dead or the board game Zombicide, you probably recognize this scenario. It wasn't particularly inventive. The whole thing was written to make my sister happy. And I'm pleased to say, that worked out quite well. Of all the little tricks I used in this game, the time tracker, the pre-generated characters, the zeroth level townsfolk as the heroes of the story, my favorite one by far was the secret information I gave to each of the players. It brought up fascinating discussions and decisions to be made by the players as they decided what were the most important things to pursue as they tried to make their escape. They didn't always agree on the course of action, but they were able to come to their own decisions all without me having to say a word in the matter, 
because I'd already said what I needed to say on those little note cards. In the end, they escaped the zombified town. They had to break the gates open based on choices they'd made, which allowed the zombies to escape into the countryside. An unfortunate outcome, really. But I'd previously designed this area with a deep and wide river that cut it off from most of the world, meaning that it was unlikely for this necromantic plague to spread to the wider world. In fact, I simultaneously had another group entering this area some 75 years in the future, trying to find the source of the plague and figure out what happened, which was a special kind of fun. I offer you this story as, hopefully, a source of inspiration. I've begun to use these ideas and concepts more frequently, though honestly, I still don't use them enough. It's very easy to fall back into the old ways of doing things, especially when you've been doing them for 20 years. I wish you brilliant stories and brilliant games, and I hope that the next time your heroes come to one of their party's hometown, or the next time the mage rolls against their knowledge skills to find out whether or not they remember something from their training, or when the bard tries to cheat at a hand of poker. Slip a cool piece of information, or the result of a check, directly to the player. Let them reveal the outcome to the rest of the table, and watch that player's eyes light up as they get the feeling of being their character, if only for a moment. Thanks so much for joining me today. Before we go, one quick thing. If you're enjoying Threat Dice, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform, or tweet us at TumbleDye. I'll read any reviews into the announcements on the next session. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may the road ever rise to meet you. Threat Dice is a production of TumbleDye Games, LLC. Our intro music is What Lies Beyond, the interludes are Clockwork, and the outro music is Storm, all by Vince Vept. Check out his amazing work at youtube.com slash vincevept, V-I-N-D-S-V-E-P-T. Additional music by Andre Sitkov and Andy Ray. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Kylan Wigan. Pain does two things. It teaches you. It tells you that you're alive. Then it passes away and leaves you changed. It leaves you wiser sometimes. Sometimes it leaves you stronger. Either way, pain leaves its mark, and everything important that will ever happen to you in your life is going to involve it in one degree or another. You can find Threat Dice wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.